With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, this is Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, where you can find podcasts, interviews and content on a variety of subjects, including football, mental health, films, TV, conspiracy theories, wrestling, music and pretty much anything else you can think of. Uh, today's guest is an award-winning author, podcaster and pro-wrestling journalist. You may have seen her on Fightful's women's wrestling podcast, The Division. Uh, I'm very happy to welcome Laura Morrow to the show. Welcome, Laura. Hi, nice to well, nice to be here. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, so, before we inevitably talk some pro wrestling, um, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of other things, which I discovered yesterday when I clicked on your Twitter bio and then oh, your no. web. <laughs> they not just uh, not just a sort of podcaster and wrestling uh, sort of journalist writer. You're also an uh, award-winning author away from uh, wrestling, which I have to say, when I read, I just thought that was really bloody cool. And uh, I had a little nose on your website as well. And uh, I was gutted because if I'd known, if, I, if I'd clicked like a week ago, I would have sort of checked out some of your stuff. A bit, uh, you know, I would have had a look at it rather than just having a nose at the website. Um, so have you always been into sort of, writing from a young age or oh yeah on? i mean to be honest i as soon as i was old enough to kind of hold a pen i've been writing uh, from very young age i started off writing poetry when i was about six or seven um and then uh sort of like teenage angst poetry uh, <laughs> uh epic epic fantasy novels that were thinly veiled ripoffs of final fantasy games so i've always written but um i didn't really start taking writing seriously until about 2012 which is when i started writing short fiction um and uh, a very kind individual saw me posting uh fiction on my blog and said why are you posting it on your blog why aren't you submitting this for publication so it all kind of started there um never really thought that I would be capable of being published. So, you know, I guess guess I was wrong. 
it's really cool and it just like that you were obviously as many people do now with the sort of blogs and uh you know websites and wordpress and things like that people you know they can whether it's the writing like stories or novels or stuff like that or they're just writing about their daily life or certain things or things they're passionate about but it's really cool that you know someone came across it and was like no you've got some talent see if you can get them published so what was the the first sort of novel or story you had uh, published so um i've had i think about 18 short stories published and one novella so far Uh, the first thing i ever got published was a story called red rabbit and that was in 2012 Um, and that was a story about uh three sort of loners on a road trip in america uh and at that time i didn't really know what kind of fiction i wanted to write you know i wasn't really sure about genre or anything like that i just wrote what was in my head and what was in my head was weird (laughs) and uh you know trying to find a place for that was uh, i I had no i had no idea at that time you know this is the thing i was so naive about how publishing worked and and how you got your stories out there i just you know i knew that it happened but um so i was really lucky to find a a small press a canadian small press called uh, undertow publications who put out a uh, a publication called Shadows and Tall Trees and uh, and Undertow, Undertow Press are actually the same publishers who are publishing my short story collection, my first ever short story collection in July so it's kind of come full circle which is a really nice a really nice symmetry So, so is that short story collection, um, is that the one I noticed at the top of your website um, it mentions you were going to be involved with a, like Alice in Wonderland with a twist is that uh-huh. that short stories because no so that's a different that's an anthology that i'm part of so i'm really lucky that um so once you kind of um start getting your name out there if you're lucky you get invitations to projects which is really exciting and that was one of the projects that i've been invited to um is from maria reagan uh, who's publishing at titan and she's basically put together a an anthology of stories that are kind of a riff on alice in wonderland so i've kind of gone with alice in wonderland but transported it to osaka in japan Japanese Japanese yokai which is folkloric monsters and stuff like that which is one of my favorite subjects so I just kind of got to go a little bit crazy with that one but that's actually not in the collection that's something that kind of came afterwards um that's coming out in I think October time but there's going to be some good stories in that I think yeah see Alice in Wonderland uh, it's it's a weird when I was a kid um I was scared of it when I was a small <laughs> kid like I really I it's quite twisted it's quite twisted <laughs> yeah. it's but, really dark yeah as I've sort of grown grown up and got older and had kids myself, I really enjoy it and I it's one of my favourite books which I've read to my kids over the years because I could just appreciate all the little nuances that adults can take from the story and I just it's really weird how it went from for, for me from like being this twisted, scary thing and now I any opportunity I get, I'll read it to my kids. We're getting a bit old now. The youngest one is just about still wants to wants me to read a story to him. <laughs> the other the other two have uh, that ship sailed, unfortunately. Oh, I don't um, think I've, well, I grew out of being read stories by my parents. I'll still listen to people read stories to me now. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's like it is one of my favourite. Uh, I got three boys, and obviously that can make for quite a noisy uh, <laughs> noisy house. And yeah. my eldest has got ADHD as well, so it can be quite chaotic sometimes. But it is—it's just nice to chill out at the at the end of the day and like read a story with, especially like with the younger one. Mm. He's ten, 
and then we're at the moment we're reading uh, Horrorland, uh, like the Goosebumps sort of spin-off. Oh, I loved it's Goosebumps really cool. when I was young. I didn't realise they were still making that kind of thing. Yeah, well, this is it, see. So it all started about two, no, probably about a year ago. We went to like the school fake or whatever, and then it was some Goosebumps box, just the normal Goosebumps box. Yeah. And we sort of got them out to read them. I used to remember these when I was younger. And then they enjoyed them. And then I sort of had a look online and they've like brought out all these like twisted spin-offs. That's and this so Horrorland spin-off is so cool because what it is, is each story, it's like 20 bucks in the series. And each story introduces you to like these kids. And then at the end of that story, you get like a chapter from an overarching story, which is part of the 20 bucks. And, and those kids join up with the next book. So then in the next book, you get, like, new characters. And then at the end of that book, you have, like, a few chapters where those characters meet the characters from the first book. That's and then that really... goes on all the way through. I love that because it's not just, you know... So I, I think one thing I really like is that you, re that you read your kids' stories because, for me, when I was, when I was young... Uh, being read to and being encouraged to read was so, so important. And it was like the gateway to me becoming a, a reader and a writer as an adult. But I also love that, you know, so when I was when I, when I was young, we had goosebumps, obviously, and then you kind of graduated to point horror when you were a teenager. But um, I, there wasn't as much fiction for what they call YA fiction, I guess now, but there wasn't as much kids fiction that um, kind of, took you seriously and didn't patronise you. And I really like that, that. That sounds like a really quite sophisticated series of books, actually. Um, it, like respecting kids' intelligence. It sounds amazing. I might have to check it out myself, actually. It's really cool. Like, and like sometimes it'll be like, it was the other night, it was like a bit later and perhaps I shouldn't have read sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, oh, should we read a chapter? Because just because I was, you know, I've been reading it and I were on yeah, yeah. like, 14 or something like that so we're like right into the the main part of the story and uh but like what i like about it is this is you can read the book on its own as like a standalone thing yeah but also it's got like this big overarching story and obviously because it's goosebumps anyway it's really creative and funny and some bits are scary for the kids and stuff but i think it encourages them not just to read and to listen to stories but also it encourages that creativity and that sort of the reward for reading all the books that you get payoffs from the first book in like book 10 and oh, things like I that. that. That's brilliant. And like when we talk wrestling and that'll be one of my gripes, no doubt is that the lost art of overarching storytelling and being rewarded for like long-term investment. Yeah. What, like, what is continuity it, now? Yeah, no, yeah. I totally agree. It's like, I won't go off onto that tangent. <laughs> Not yet, yet, anyway. <laughs> um, so, like, going back to you, what, what, what's the like out of all the stuff you've written? What's your favourite uh, story or novella? Oh, that's hard. It's like picking one of your favourite children. Um, I guess. Um, so, looking for Lyca is uh, actually the first ever science fiction story that I wrote, and it was about. Uh, so, I have I have weird obsessions, and that's one of the things that kind of fuels me as a writer is these. I go down rabbit holes of subjects that are really interesting to me. So like when I wrote the story Sundogs, it was because I just learned about preppers and people who live off grid in America in the Mojave Desert. And I just thought that was so strange and interesting. But looking for Laika is like a long term obsession I've had with the Russian space dog Laika. 
Um, she was a dog that was sent up into space uh, yeah. in, I think, 1950s. And I've always wanted to write a story about her. And it was, and it's kind of a story about stories. Um, and it was, I'd been kind of creatively a bit bereft for a while because I hadn't written anything for me for a long time. So when I sat down and wrote that story, it was because I wanted to write that. That was a story that I needed to write. Um, and that story actually, uh, it, it won the British Fantasy Award last year for best short story, which was a real shock in a good way. But I'm really glad it was that story because that story, it had lots of elements of me in it. You know, um, yeah. it was set in a caravan park in a very thinly veiled Celsius bill on the south coast, which I spent an awful lot of time as a kid in a caravan there with Graham. So it's, I know it's a cliche, but I think authors, we always put a little bit of ourselves in the story. But that story had a lot of me in it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's only natural when you're writing or creating anything whether it's video or radio or music it's you're always gonna tend to um use your own life experiences and things pleasant memories or if you're making something scary or bad you're gonna you know you're gonna feed off negative memories so i think it's only natural and i think that all like the best sort of creators whether they be writers or filmmakers uh they've all got a bit of themselves within their the way they tell their stories. So I, I think that's yeah. an absolutely a good thing, no doubt. So let's get down to the glory. Um, so you won the award. I did, uh, yeah. So you'll have to excuse my ignorance in terms of, is that like, a, was it like a glitzy sort of awards ceremony uh, where you had like a list of nominees and it was announced? Or was yeah. it more? Well, I would no. say it was I would say glitzy is the right word for it, but it was, it was, you know, it was so um, every year uh, in the UK, we, there's a, there's a, a genre writers con- convention called fantasy com, um, which is run by the British fantasy society. And they have the British fantasy awards, the, you know, the, the, the end of the, at the end of the convention, they have this award ceremony. Um, and it takes, it took place uh, in a, in a hotel. So the, the, the whole convention is in a hotel and they have, you know, panels and discussions and readings. And it's a really great event. Um, so it was a room, a large room full of people sitting at tables, you know, and it, it was it was actually terrifying because even though I genuinely didn't think I stood a chance of winning, it's still something about having your name read out. Um, I hadn't prepared a speech. I didn't expect to win. And there I've got to stand up in front of all these people and kind of try and form coherent sentences when my brain is just making, you know, but my brain had checked out at that point. I actually genuinely don't remember. Which is a little bit worrying, but people were showing me that I didn't say anything rude. So. You know, um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was unreal. It really wasn't a real experience. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's hard enough speaking in front of, like, doing a speech. Uh, like, I know from just doing my brother's best man speech, it was horrifyingly bad. Oh, yeah. In terms of, like, the bit, I built it up so much. And it was just, it's like you just got this dread coming into it. <laughs> so, I mean, in some ways, because you didn't expect it, you haven't got that like that build-up of pressure oh sure yeah the speech and stuff but the only problem is you haven't got anything prepared to to say for your speech but i mean quite often i think you know if you can speak from like your heart and how you feel it comes out just as well as it would if you'd you know prepared uh, i think better in a way because um 
you know, I, I say I don't really remember what I said, but quite a few people afterwards come up to me and said that it was very heartfelt and very genuine, and which is nice because <laughs> I don't, I haven't had a clue what I said. I know I shouted at someone at some point to stand up because I wanted to thank them, but I got a bit overexcited. Um, but you know, it's I, I, I'm not actually that afraid of public speaking if I'm well prepared. But in a situation like that, when it's very personal and it's very um, uh, emotional. I'm not so good at that, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of like if I've got my lines and I've got my game face on, I'm good. I'm all right, yeah. you know, but when you have to actually be a, a human being, like I, I always joke that I'm not very good at putting on my people suit. You know, mm. I'm, you know, if, if I've had time to put my people suit on and I can be a person like I prepared for it, <coughs> excuse me, then, um, then I'm good. I can go. If I have to kind of, you know, go up without having prepared my people suit in advance, that's when I get a little bit, you know, oh, no, I have to pretend yeah. to be a person now. <laughs> it's, um, I'm not so good at that. And I think as well, from like a positive point of view as well, is if they, I think for everyone, um, if you're preparing what you're going to say beforehand, you, it's, it, it's easy to lose a bit of that emotion and that sort of, um, the, not, the, not, not the passion, but it's obviously much more heartfelt if you speak just off the cuff because it's just raw, raw emotion and excitement. And like you say, you just like shouted at someone to stand up. <laughs> and perhaps if you'd prepared a speech, you'd have been a bit more calmer and you'd have perhaps not had that emotion. And I think it adds to the moment. I think so. I hope so anyway. <laughs> but it was your moment. So I suppose, yeah. it's, you know, that's, that's the main thing. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> In school, like I always loved to write, and I was really good at English in school. And I always thought I'd like, I'd like to do something with writing or journalism or creative, creative writing, something like that. And then sort of stuff happened and things went on, and I never really pursued it. And then now that I've sort of started doing this podcast stuff, it's like lit a bit of sort of creativity in me a bit, and I'm contemplating like write, just writing like a blog or something to accompany some of their shows, particularly the ones which are like the mental health ones mm. where like I spoke to a doctor earlier about ADHD and stuff like that and I did one on depression and grief. I think like writing to go with it could help. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, I... Me, if nothing, you know, even if no one else enjoy, like reads it or gets anything from it, I think it would help me. Oh, 100%. So. I th- and I think, honestly, these things so... Um, oh, how many years ago was it now? Probably about five years ago. OCD. And um, uh, because it wasn't the typical presentation of OCD, <clears throat> I, for a start, didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought I was just a bit weird. But when I searched the internet for people who'd had <clears throat> similar experiences, I felt so much... Normal is not the right word. I didn't feel normal, but I felt less alone and I felt like I could cope with it because other people had coped with it <coughs> excuse me um so then if you I, I, I ended up writing about it on my blog as well and getting putting my thoughts on the page and writing it down um there, I think there is a there is a power to that I think <coughs> in confronting um in confronting your own kind of your own feelings <laughs> sorry excuse me I've got I still got a cough <coughs> anyway um but what I mean to say is that I think, you know, uh, you you found your gateway drug into creativity, which is great because I think everybody has a gateway drug into creativity and it's just finding that thing that opens the door for you. So if podcasting leads to writing, 
something else that's wonderful and it's obviously a natural process and you go absolutely go with it i think <coughs> excuse me yeah it's it's a weird one like it's funny you you mentioned uh some sort of poetry in your teens and uh, i've got a friend who will probably watch this at some point who uh, i used to write some really really dodgy poetry to and uh, she said to me the other day actually or the other week uh, but she found some of them and I was like burn them burn them all <laughs> no don't do that uh, yeah but I was well I was really into like the doors so like you can imagine yeah you can sort of see where yeah but you know honestly <laughs> I, I think there is no there is no wasted writing there is no bad writing I gen- I'm very passionate about this all writing that you do is practice you know whether it's the bad poems that you wrote when you were a teenager and you were trying to be Trent Reznor or Jim Morrison or whatever whether it's the fan fiction that you wrote because you know I, you know I'm, I'm not too proud to admit that I wrote fan fiction I still do write fan fiction it's mm. all practice you don't get better at something unless you do it and whatever yeah. form that takes and I also think that it's this you, sh- you should keep this stuff and it should be part, <coughs> part of your history because um when you look back as a writer at the stuff that you used to do <coughs> and you compare it to the stuff that you do now that sometimes writing is a very lonely business and sometimes writing is very um it's very easy to get lost inside your own head so to have that point of reference of comparison to where you were where you are now and you can kind of get an idea of where you will be in five years time <coughs> it's, it's such a useful tool to have um it's you know like i said it's part of you you know it might be might might not be your finest hour but it's still mm-hmm. part of you and it's still part of your history and it still matters i think yeah i can i can certainly see that uh, <coughs> but i'd prefer that it never sees the light of day well that's fine but... you know you could always put it in a box under the <laughs> somewhere in in another box in a box yeah is so which says With do not ever read you know yeah that's that's fine <laughs> that's that's allowed <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad now that I came across your website and stuff yesterday because, um, like I said, like creative writing and stuff like that was something that I was really passionate about when I was a lot younger and in my teens. So I, I'm really pleased that I got to just have a quick chat with you. I'm a bit disappointed that I couldn't have looked into like some of the stuff you'd done, you know, a bit more. So it could have gone into a bit more depth, but maybe another time for that. Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking out for those <laughs> Alice in the, uh, stories, though. Because... I think there's going to be some really good stories in that. I've had a sneak peek of some of the other stories in it from some of the other authors, and I think there's some really interesting takes on it. I'm really excited as a reader to read it. So, it's really, it's, like, it's a story that's had loads of different takes on it over the years. And, you know, funny enough, um, a couple of years ago, my wife had a book. I don't know if we've still got it, but it was like, twisted fairy tales mm. so it was all the various you know fairy tales all the fairy tales you could think of but they were like all twisted they were really like macabre and the characters would change slightly and maybe someone who was good was bad i forget what it was called but i thought that was such a cool concept i think I love stuff at like the that. time it was just a little bit i think it was my youngest son didn't quite get it he just, just, he was a bit like, well, why isn't so and so, you know, why isn't I know Snow White still with the six dwarfs and uh, seven dwarfs and whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. But the the middle one, he was, he loved it. He was really into it. Brilliant. So, 
I just reminded me of it. But yeah, this sounds like um, you like that sort of uh, like fantasy sort of twisted different oh, food. It's just a different yeah. take on traditional things. I quite like like a different, just a different point of view of things. I don't like, not everything has to stay the same and be rebooted yeah. the same. Yeah, it can be changed. You know, change it up. There's so many things you can do with things. You don't have to. I'm I'm kind of like a big believer that you know, <coughs> what we call canon, you know, is uh, a very flexible thing, and you don't have to be a slave to canon. And I don't know if you're familiar with the game. Um, Ameri- there's a video game called American McGee's Alice, which I played oh. a long, long time ago. It's very old now, and that's a a dark take on Alice in Wonderland. And that was probably the first. The first time I'd come across the idea of taking fairy tales or, or popular stories and kind of putting a spin on them. Um, and then from there, I got into Angela Carter, whose uh, her anthology, The Bloody Chamber, is really like a really famous reworking of, of fairy tales and stuff like that. So it's something that's been done a lot, but there's so many different ways you can do it. You know, there's so many different um, ways to transport the story into the modern era like i know that i think one of these stories in the alice um, anthology is a kind of a cyberpunk alice in wonderland which is a really cool idea and there's also um uh, an author called georgina bruce who's written uh, a, a kind of an alice themed st- set in a in, in like a mmorpg kind of world you know a, a, a video game world so there's just so much yeah. you can do with these ideas now i agree with you why reboot when you could just remix indeed and and like the thing is now is when you compare the times like you know modern times to even when i was little 20 37 years ago i was born so like when i was a small child those times compared to now you know you've got so much more things to draw from yeah and because the world has changed so much people's imagination and creativity has changed to a completely different level yeah so why not embrace it definitely we have so many and i think one of the cool things as well about the way the world is now is because we're so much more so more, uh, much more global there's um <coughs> kind of like takes on on stories from across the world now which is really interesting to me as well so you know it's not just perspectives from our own cultures but perspectives from other cultures and other places um we didn't have that so much when i was young and now i'm, I'm i find it fascinating you know i'm really interested in things like uh Japanese culture, but also Finnish culture. There's, you know, quite a lot of cultures that I find really, really interesting that you have access to now. That um, maybe, and I guess the that you know, because the, you know, we're all connected now, aren't we? The, the the internet is kind of the world in one place, which is, you know, has its pros and its cons. But one of the great things about it is you can hear. Like I didn't realise that Alice in Wonderland is massively popular in Japan. It's a really popular story, and there are lots of Japanese takes on it. You know, the, it. it by Japanese authors and Japanese creators so it just kind of goes to show how you know how connected we all are and how connected our stories are yeah I mean like you could you could post a, a take on or a story or something on your website tomorrow and people you know in Australia Japan wherever could read it within seconds it's, it, it's changed the way people can take in information it can be done at the click of a button yeah I think you know, like you say, there's a lot of positives, and you know, there's some negatives to it. But um, I'm on board with you. Japan is on my uh, on my bucket list of places to go. Oh, definitely. Uh, do it. I, 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 I just sit here and enable you the whole time. It's it's one of the best yeah. places I've been to. I think we'll say it quietly. I'm just waiting for my kids to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, 
that's on my bucket list of places to go to Japan. Um, okay, so we'll move towards wrestling slowly. <laughs> In the general um, direction. Yeah, just the general sort of direction. Well, so how, how did you get too, into... Right? So... Yeah, well, that's it. And I've got like a big... And, and also, not just the storytelling aspect, but also the retelling uh, oh. and evolving of what's traditional wrestling to what wrestling is today and i'm a big fan of that that you should change from a wrestling point of view wrestling should change it should never stay the same for too long a period because what worked 20 years ago didn't work 20 years before that and vice versa so how did you get into uh podcasting and, and writing about wrestling so a few years, I think it was last year, maybe I haven't been, I haven't been doing it that long, actually. Uh, I think last early last year sometime I uh, made a slightly petulant tweet about <laughs> about how I wish somebody would pay me to write about wrestling because it's my two loves. You know, at that time I was a writer, but I was also a wrestling fan, you know, and I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could put my love of writing together with my love of wrestling? And um, a friend of mine was running a, a website called Pro Wrestling Journal which does a lot of really cool stuff about UK indies. And I was invited to uh, to write for them. And then I was scouted uh, by Daily Daily Team, which is really exciting. They asked me to come on board and write for them. And I've been with them ever since. And uh, just making contacts, I met um, Kristen Ashley, who uh, works for Fightful um, and uh, also uh, Bell to Bells, which is a new women's wrestling website. Yeah. Um, she invited me to come and do some podcasting. Warren Hayes asked me to come on the show for uh, NXT UK. So it's really, you know, just people have asked me to pop by and apparently they don't hate my voice. So it's worked out all right. You know, I, I must it's be better at talking bonus. than I thought. <laughs> that's it, isn't it? It's a, it's a, that's a bonus as if people can listen to you without <laughs> switching off. Hopefully. And, uh, you know, it's funny, funnily, uh, when I spoke to when I did a show with Warren the other day, um, we were sort of talking. I was asking him about when he first started and and stuff like that. And um, I said, so when I finally like I've been wanting to do like the podcasting thing for about three years, mm. and I just I've, I've got health like some health problems and stuff, physical and sort of mental health as well. But like I kind of used them as an excuse to not quite put myself out there and take a yeah. chance on it. You know, there were sort of reasons, but like equally, I was quite happy to sort of be just about to launch it and then like, oh, I can't. It's hard to get out of your comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah. And then my biggest problem was I, so I basically said, right, I'm going to do it. I set up a Twitter page. I set up a YouTube channel. I was like, I told people I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then I sort of, a week went by and I hadn't done anything. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it again. So <laughs> I thought, no, I'm going to record a video. I'm going to just sort of do like an introduction and just say, this is what the channel's going to be about. This is the sort of thing I'm looking for. Come come say hi type thing. Yeah. And uh, I recorded that video. It was only like probably a three-minute, four-minute video. I recorded it about, must have been over 20 times, and just delete, do it again, delete, do it again, because I did not like the sound of my voice yeah. on a recording. Um, and that was a big sort of, hurdle for me to get by because I did record that video so many times and I got to a point I think after about 20 and I was like look I'm either gonna have to just not do it if I can't get past this I, I, I can't do it can I I can't podcast mm. without speaking um or I just gotta say 
sod it. Is that this how you it is. Then you this just is what it sounds like with it. Uh, and I just recorded that next take, edited it, and mm -hmm. put it out. And it had a pretty good feedback from like at that point. It was just friends and you know just people I know who were saying good for you that type of stuff. Mm. And then as I've sort of got people to come on, I've become more comfortable in myself. <laughs> then, so it's just like like even though me and you have never spoken before, if like the first show I did. I really was like, my anxiety was like mm. right up through the roof and I could, watching it back, like other people said, oh yeah, it was really good and they enjoyed it, it was about ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, but like my wife said and my kids said, so they could tell that I was like struggling a bit with it. Yeah. And yeah. I was like really anxious and I was like reading off a script off the screen and but I got used to it and I think Do it's about finding... you find it easier now that you've done it more? Yeah, I think this this is about the 20th show i've done now and yeah. i've like i've just it's just talking to people and i yeah. think it helps that i'm in my own house so i don't have to go and go out and yeah. speak to people at this point <laughs> I'm quite comfortable just to sit. <laughs> so like and it's really weird because i like i'm quite anti-social <laughs> like i'm I've got a really dry sense of humor which sometimes comes across as being quite grumpy yeah particularly to people who don't know me so, like, some the people who do know me are a bit like, wow, you're, like, speaking to strangers and, like, sort of having a conversation with them and laughing and joking and back and forth. And they were like, you know, where's that been for the last 10 years? Yeah. Just, you know, just, just, it's just easy to be just, like, a lot. I, one of the things I try to stick to is I try to stick to what I know. So I'm talking about things that I'm either knowledgeable about or I'm passionate about. So then I'd never feel too uncomfortable in terms of like we're talking about writing and right. wrestling mm -hmm. or I'll talk to people about films and stuff like that. Did you find it difficult when you, um, like that first sort of podcast you did, was? did you find it a bit nerve-wracking or oh, gotcha. did you feel relatively comfortable with it? Oh, no, it was terrifying, honestly, because I, I get <clears throat> imposter syndrome. So, you know, even though I've been watching wrestling since I was about – eight maybe I was convinced that I didn't know anything about wrestling so why on earth are people you know why are people getting me to talk about wrestling I don't know what I'm talking about I don't know anything about wrestling of course I do you know I've been watching it most of my life but all of a sudden when it came to actually talking about it and actually recording myself talking about it it was I, I kind of felt like I have no right to talk about this I'm not an expert I don't know I don't know anything um so yeah I was terrified honestly uh, and you know I'm the same with you I you know, the sound in my own voice is weird to me, you know, because I don't sound like the way that I think I'm supposed to sound like. Um, so that was, yeah, it was, it was a, something to get over, I think. And it really helped that Warren was, you know, as you know, you've spoken with Warren, that Warren is the chillest guy, you know, he's very relaxed. He's a very nice person and he makes you feel comfortable. And that really helped. I think if it had been somebody maybe less less friendly and less open than Warren I might have yeah. struggled more he made me feel at home and also he never made me feel like I didn't know anything you know it was he kind yeah. of respected yeah. my opinions and I thought well oh, maybe maybe I actually do know what I'm talking about <laughs> but yeah, but no, yeah it, was, it was scary it genuinely was frightened everything you're saying I relate to is it's putting yourself out there that first time is very alarming I think the one thing which helped me <clears throat> overall was that I did um, a couple of shows with Sean Rossap from Fightful. 
uh, yeah. which were like Fightful Books that shows on the Patreon service. Mm-hmm. I think I did three, which is just where we basically, you know, did some fantasy booking and stuff like that. But he's the same. He's very similar to Warren. He's just a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, we had a wild time. We'd never spoken in person before, but I'd done sort of three hours now of just talking wrestling with him and laughing and joking and it's, it's a strange thing because like you say be watching wrestling i've watched more probably watched more wrestling than i've watched anything else yeah you know because this is so, so much of it <laughs> there's so much of it <laughs> it's just hours and hours of it i find it difficult to keep up totally. the, um, so you said you started watching wrestling about age eight so oh yeah what, yeah what um, like what, what, what wrestling did you watch like when you were younger? So in those early years, it was uh, reruns of World of Sport. And you, I don't know if you must, I must remember. Uh, do you remember Eurosport? It was on, I think, Channel yeah, Four yeah, in the early Eurosport. morning. Yeah, and they used to. I'm sure they used to play World of Sport on there because I remember Sunday mornings watching it with my granddad. Um, like old school wrestling, you know, with giant haystacks and Big Daddy and all that kind of stuff. And then, as I got a little bit older. Um, this is much later. WCW used to come on Channel 5 because I didn't have Sky. Um, so I actually started off with WCW, not WWE. I was a WCW fan before uh, WWE or WWF in those days. Um, but then, you know, you make friends people. My friend had Sky, watched WWF, and that was kind of the era of... Um, it was... it was So it was not, it was not quite Attitude Era. It was uh, uh, Edge and Christian were still with Gangrel and the Brood, yeah. you know, that kind of era. And like larger than life characters, which, you know, for me at that age, you know, and, and I was going through my a goth phase at that time as well. So, of course, I was like, yes, this is so cool. The Hardy Boys, I basically want to be the Hardy Boys when I grow up. So, <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, World of Sport was the gateway drug and then WCW and then WWF. Ah, so, you see, I, I'm just about old enough that I, I don't know if I remember it. Or I, I remember watching World of Sport on ITV. Yeah. on like a Saturday evening and then I think oh, I can't be that old surely that was way before my time but then I think I probably am just about older in your defense time. it wasn't that long ago <laughs> uh, long enough <laughs> I but know you feel. obviously when I come back recently that was like quite emotional at one yeah, point I first found out because it was like wow this is really good for wrestling and I bet it must have been uh, quite exciting with, with your kids as well, kind of have that come full circle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just, like, showing them that. And it's like, I used to watch this. Yeah. I was, like, tiny. And then yeah. it's come all the way back and it's back on. Um, obviously, the All Elite uh, pay-per-view is on ITV as well. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Can't believe it. I, mm. I, I got to say, I, I thought it would be on somewhere in the UK. But I, I thought yeah. it was going to be some random, like, extreme sports channel. Yeah, like or, some preview you know, some, channel or something. One of the really obscure ones. It's, it's uh, a big deal. I mean, I think I've, I've talked to people in America, but it's ITV pay-per-view. And I'm like, yeah, but you've got to understand, for <clears throat> for ITV to even take that kind of punt on it, that's quite big. You know, ITV is a mainstream channel. And I know that it's a pay-per-view channel, but, you know, the fact they're touching it with a barge pole, is, from my point of view, is remarkable. I'm really oh, excited. Exactly. I was genuinely really shocked when i heard and obviously the pre-show is on itv4 yeah um from 12 which that in itself, you know so like it's not like they've just sort of chucked it all on pay-per-view and yeah. it's reasonably priced as well it's like i think it's 15 quid or 18 quid for the hd version that's nothing in this day and age for a pay-per-view 
Absolutely. I mean, if, if, I, if, I mean, I would have bought it, gone for it anyway, but I think it's just, it's really important to support it. You know, I think we're in an era now where, I mean, can you imagine the goal, the, 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 the dream would be you've got World of Sport Wrestling to represent British wrestling on ITV, but then you also had AEW. That made it, you, you had, you could have like the British and American wrestling. That'd be on mainstream British TV. Oh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be made up if that happened. Oh, it'd be awesome, like just like a Thursday night or something. Yeah, how cool would that be? All elite wrestling, yeah. and like I think it's important for the wrestling business, wrestling business as a whole, because I feel like the only way the WWE is gonna make a change, and the only way WWE is gonna perhaps address the elephant in the room that is Vince McMahon's seventy-four-year-old guy who's trying to cater his TV for people who are from a completely different generation to him. Amen. I think the only way that changes is if All Elite gets some momentum and gets some decent TV and some decent TV ratings. Oh, and then suddenly okay. they are under pressure. And like, obviously, I'm not saying that they're just magically going to be neck and neck with them. Like, WWE is a multi-billion dollar brand, which has been built over, you know, 50, 60 years or whatever it is. Yeah. But... It, I think it only takes six months to a year of good ratings and WWE's ratings to keep dropping. And then suddenly they're going to have to take notice because all those wrestlers who are disgruntled, they've got somewhere to go where they can yeah. like, earn the same money. And I think that's a big thing. Even though the brand won't be as big, the fact that they can get paid a similar wage, or in yeah. some cases I'm sure they'll get more, that's... <laughs> You've got to give you guys a livable wage. Yeah, totally. It's <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think the wage is a big thing, but I think you know the other the other big thing, and I think Sean Ross Sapp mentioned this recently when he was uh, talking about uh, what WWE wrestlers are, uh, are frustrated about is the lack of creative control. Like, well, not even creative control, but like creativity. No. Like you were talking about earlier on about continuity, right? And you know, I'm just going to drag drag it back in, but no, but you were right. The problem is, you know create this <clears throat> it's creatively dead right now wwe the continuity is out the window and all of a sudden you've got aew you know the thing is remember i don't know if you remember but what how good wwe was during the monday night tw breathing down their neck they had to produce and they produced yeah okay you know there was some dodgy stuff back then too but for the most part they produced some really good really innovative really exciting wrestling wcw were producing some really good stuff at the same time as well and then you know everything just died away you've had ring of honor uh are there they exist but you know then let's face it they're, they're not struggling really. now aren't they? yeah it's bad and, and, i mean it's, it's kind of their own fault they're struggling i mean there have been some diabolical book ring of honor i don't know what kind of decisions have been made. i'm still i'm still bitter about dalton castle's reign being you know going yeah. nowhere but yeah, that's but that was... <laughs> um and then you had impact which impact kind of keeps coming up and going down and coming up and going down and you know impact recently has just gone down the toilet as well if you ask me but um so AEW coming along is it's a game changer it's so exciting and i think it's i think it's good for wwe as well i know a lot of people were talking about it in a sense that it will knock WWE down a few pegs, and that is true. But I think it will be healthy for WWE because, as you point out, and you're completely right, it's beholden to Vince McMahon. You know, the whole company is Vince McMahon's whims and his his desires. And 
it, they've really got to realise that they can't run the company on that model anymore. It doesn't work that way anymore. And I think if they've got competition that in the form of a company that are doing new things and exciting things and relevant things. I mean, Cody's, um, uh, the, the promo that he did recently was one of the most exciting things I've seen in wrestling lately. You know, WWE haven't done anything to compare to that in a long time. No, no, they have not. And I think one thing which I made me think when you were saying about WCWN is um, like in that era where they were both at the top of their game, you had two wrestling programs on mainstream American TV at the same time, both drawing two million plus or three million moves. I think it's probably more three, three and a bit million each. Yeah. That's unheard of now. Yeah. Like at the moment, I think WWE is happy if they hit over two million. But like they were on at exactly the same time, both on like good spots, <coughs> both on good channels, both drawing in. So you know, wrestling was hot. Yeah, and I think all in last year gave everyone a little sort of taste of what maybe could happen. And you know, it might not, it might not pan out. But just that that one show sort of gave everyone this like, oh, and new 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 Japan was hot at the time. Yeah. They have taken a bit of a hit I think since like Kenny Omega left and the and the Bucks and stuff are not you know they that them not being on ROH and New Japan has I do think it's hurt them I think, um, I, yeah I think you're probably right about that in the ROH's point uh, I do agree that some <laughs> of their booking decisions has been horrifically bad I really don't know what what they're doing um New Japan they still consistently put on amazing matches. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like they've lost a little bit of steam. Um, but then WWE at the moment, there's characters that I like, but they want me to commit five hours of TV, like on a Monday and a Tuesday, and I find that I find it really difficult because yeah. I they don't not much of it compels me. Not much of it keeps me interested. Yeah. I'm like on my phone or I'm doing something else. Um, and I have to say, the only thing at the moment which I'll roar on SmackDown, which I genuinely am looking forward to, where I actually not, I can't wait till next Monday just to see, is the Bray Wyatt stuff. <laughs> I love I it. I genuinely, <laughs> genuinely can't wait to see where that goes. Um, but everything else, I'm a bit like, nah. And I shouldn't be because like Seth yeah. Rollins versus AJ Styles, it's got the potential to be amazing. Yeah. Kofi Kingston versus Kevin Owens. I love Kevin Owens is one of my favourite characters of over like the last five years. Yeah. So it's, it's it boggles my mind how badly they handle. It really uh, does. I mean, like, so I think a good example is so one of my favourite wrestlers pretty much ever is Sami Zayn. Believe it or not, I love Sami Zayn. So when he came back, I was so excited. You know, and they, they're giving him significant time on the mic he's proven what a great promo he is and they've wasted it well they've yeah he's cut the same promo four times in a row it hasn't gone anywhere he's been thrown in a dumpster by braun Strowman, and then all of a sudden he's fine the next night don't get me wrong not complaining about that that match was great you know what the the, Mm. the kofi aj uh, sammy Zayn match brilliant match i'm really glad that happened but continuity went in the been with sammy Zayn. you know (laughs) yeah it's like that's one of the most frustrating things, isn't it? Yeah. It's continuity and logic. It's it's almost sometimes you feel like it's insulting to your intelligence yeah. watching. Yeah. They just want you to forget things yeah. which have happened the week before. 
and like and when I watch TV, like for instance, one of my favorite TV shows of all time was Lost, mm-hmm. because every week they gave you just a little smidgen of the overall story, but not too much. Yeah. So you wanted to watch the next episode, but you also were rewarded for keep coming back. And I know some people will say it went on too long and whatever, you know, but that's but the general meaning of it. It's like mm-hmm. same with Prison Break, um, oh, Breaking Break. Bad, all these shows which were, you know, huge successes. Mm-hmm. They reward the long-term viewers for sticking with them. Absolutely. Like going back to things that happened in the first series or, you know, they don't just drop storylines yeah. and never answer the questions. Every question is answered. Every loose end is tied up. Yep. So, so you, story... you're invested in those people, in the characters. Definitely. There's a storytelling device um, that writers use called, it's, I don't know if you know about it, it's called Chekhov's Gun. And the principle is, is, it comes from the playwright Chekhov. And the idea is that if a gun is put on the mantelpiece in the first act of a play, it should be fired or used in the fourth act of a play. So the idea is, is that, you, you, know, you know, you say that the, the, the observant person who notices the gun on the mantelpiece will be like when that gun is used right so exactly what you're saying there's nothing is in, insignificant nothing is unused and you know uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of game of thrones and you know for all my my com- complaints about that show sometimes it is good at calling back to things that happened several seasons ago um you know I've never watched episodes, so i can't comment on it's, that. Quite, it's, it's a big commitment but you know if you want a wrestling example of that so i think the reason that i love sammy Zayn as much as i do also kevin owens you're completely right is because the continuity that they personally have maintained throughout their career from 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 the days of kevin steen and el generico to now they within their own kind of storytelling there's so many little callbacks and so many little consistencies that they keep putting in that are so clever that it just draws me to them and their story um I don't, I, don't, I don't know how much of it is kind of stuff that's written or how much of it is stuff they've kind of slipped in past the radar. I think it's probably but, them, isn't it? Yeah, it feels, it feels like them, doesn't it? It's a kind of an organicness about it that I don't think you can write. Um, then, do you think that's why they're so good, those two in particular, is because everything they do seems so organic that yeah. you never quite know. Did, he, did they script him to do that yeah. or say that? Or did he just add it because yeah. whether it's a mannerism or a little sentence or, you know, whatever it may be. I think they're the, the Kevin uh, Owens in particular, I think he's a master at, at those yeah. little, just um, Alex Pulowski on the Fightful show on Monday, actually, uh, Tuesday after Smackdown said, every time Kevin Owens uh, does his powerbomb on the apron, he has like a slightly different expression yeah. as if he's surprised that he's capable of it. And, yeah, you know, I can't imagine that Vince McMahon's telling him to do that. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. just this is what you've got to do and go and do it type thing. There's a there's a, a person on Twitter called uh, I can't remember what their Twitter handle is, but it's Myth Myth Gifts, and they tell the story. They they I mean they they thre- their their gift threads are works of art, and they tell the story of Sammy and and Kevin or El Generico and Kevin, and when you sort of see the way that they cut it down, you realise how how good both of these men are at telling stories, not just verbally, but physically, you know, when you think Sami Zayn as El Generico was wrestling under a mask all that time, 
So he's had to tell stories through body language and he still does. It's little things like he hits the blue thunderbomb and every time he hits the blue thunderbomb, he really thinks he's going right. to get the pin this time, you know, and he never does. But the, the belief is always there, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the exhaustion and the despair and it, when, when it, after a long match. The I don't know the, the both of them are masters at body language and telling stories and I love that because even if they don't have creative control over their script and even if they don't have creative control over their stories, they are maintaining a degree of creative control over themselves the way the way they tell their stories and that is next level to me. That's kind of like that's what elevates them as as next level performers. You see it with Kenny Omega and. Uh, Carter, and that's why they are next level performers because the stories they tell with their bodies in the ring and the stories they tell with their facial expression all the non-verbals are probably more important uh, than than the actual you know the, the the story that is written i think yeah i think um as well the only two other people sprung to mind when you were just saying that i think daniel bryan is very similar mm, definitely um but the one person who i felt on top of that, who not necessarily mannerisms or body language in the ring, although he was very good, is but took responsibility for his character making sense and his character's reasoning behind what he's doing and why he's doing it was CM Punk. Yeah, that, yeah. If he had a stupid script to read, he'd read the script, but he'd make sense of it from yeah. his character's point of view. And that's, and that's why he's hard. one of my favourites, because, yeah exactly what I was going to say. That is very difficult when you look back at some of the scripts that people have been given over the last sort of five to ten years in the WWE. Some of them have been awful. Like, so bad. <coughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so, Bray Wyatt. Let's go back to Bray Wyatt. Let's go back to Firefly Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Firefly Funhouse. Yeah. Um, like, I do find at the moment I, it's like a necessity. I won't miss a second of it. Um, like it is that much, much worse watch for me at the moment. Yeah. Uh, because it's got so much possibility, so many different ways they could take it, so many different ways. What does it mean? You yeah, know, it's that, isn't to it? this and this is that. But in the back of my mind, I'm still expecting them to drop it or to completely cock it up. Oh, that will so, happen. That will happen. Remember the fashion file. You know, Fashion Files was must-see TV for a while and it just died on, died a death for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, but, it's um, almost like Vince doesn't get it. That's yeah. it. Even if the fans are into it, which is another one of their problems, is they seem to want to fight the fans. Yeah, um, I don't get that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's Vince doesn't it like it. That? Yeah, it's, they're, they're, these are the people that are, these are your audience. Why would you not give your audience what they want? It's the most illogical thing. Uh, I know you're right about Firefly Funhouse. Bray Wyatt. Where would you Where would you take it from? Where would you take it if you were booking Bray Wyatt from, booking Bray... from now? Where would you um, take that? So I was blindsided by Rambling Rabbit. I didn't expect him to die off so quickly. Oh, they, no. went, they, they went full George R. R. Martin with that. That was great. Um, I, I just I kind of love that Bray Wyatt was he was what he was must see TV for a while, and then he just kind of disappeared didn't he he was you know wasn't really doing anything and he just reinvented himself or has been reinvented i should say um into this kind of eerie my favorite thing about fire for fun house is the, is the silent children i love that the children at the end of it that are just ah, it's brilliant um there's a lot of interesting rumors about abby and who abby might be um and if abby 
is representing someone or represented by somebody. And the rumor that I've heard that I am quite intrigued by is that it could be Nikki Cross. Yeah. And I, I'd be I'd be down with that. I think I'd be down with Nikki Cross involved in Firefly Funhouse somehow. I think she'd fit. Yeah. So I've got two theories. Mm. Um, one of them is like based on discussion I had with Warren the other day. So mm-hmm. my initial theory was that it's going to be obviously him. Um, it's going to be Nikki Cross. And then it's going to be the rambling rabbit was going to be Eric Young and the buzzard <coughs> was going to be Killian Dane. Ooh. And it was going to be a new stable for him. Um, however, Warren ruined that for me. <laughs> he does he, that. Uh, because he said <laughs> he thinks that it's basically these characters are, are Bray's past personas and it's portraying what's going on in, in his mind. So oh. like... The the Wayland Mercy, his original gimmick was very much influenced by that, and people said he was a rip off of Wayland Mercy. The, obviously, Abigail is the witch, blah blah blah. And then the Rambling Rabbit portrays his the sort of gimmick he had just before he left, where people would get starting to get a bit fed up. Not me, I must say, but other people were getting a bit fed up that his promos were a bit rambling, yeah, yeah. without ever going anywhere. And that's that. And he's going to kill those personas bit by bit until he becomes the word of the day sociopath. But um, that's really interesting. It is, isn't it? It's a really, like, it's it's a much more detailed take than what I thought of. And I was fascinated, you know, talking to Warren about mm-hmm. it because I, you know, there was me, just like, oh, three people, three. That's a stable. I'm with Easy. you. Yeah, I'll be the same. But, the thing is, though, it makes trust- sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But do we trust WWE to be that clever? Because that's really yeah. clever storytelling. Do we trust WWE to be as to, to be as clever as Warren about storytelling? I would. I, I'd love to see it. Actually, now you said it. Now you said it. I've, that's 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 really cool. That's got a lot of possibilities, and I like that idea. Yeah. But I, I I I'm inclined to kind of agree with you. I think it will be it will be a statement of some sort. Um. Yeah, and I think what hurt him, what hurt Bray over the last couple of years. It's sort of three things. Mm. One was he was a cult leader without a cult. Yeah, yeah. That automatically makes him (laughs) redundant because you're like, if you're a cult leader who's trying to influence people and manipulate people, but you've got no cult, it kind of takes away from the character straight away. Um, His master plans always backfired and didn't work. Whether, like, his big master plans, if you think... uh, the one with Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan ended up tricking him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kidnapped Kane and Undertaker. They came back the next week and destroyed all four of them. Randy Orton burnt down the his compound. Shed. Took his belt. With... Yeah. And um, so he, every time he tried to have this big overarching master plan, it never came off. Yeah. So whilst he seemed really clever and manipulative. And a really like um, cerebral uh, heel. Ultimately, he just looked like a failure from that point of view as well. Yeah. And then the other one is that he just keep, kept losing the big matches, which I yeah, think yeah. they've done something similar with Samoa Joe. Is they built Samoa Joe up every time to be this killing machine, really good, great. What a gimmick! What a promo! Everyone's behind like the character, and then he'd have a big match and lose it. And he did it about four times last year. Yeah. And it just kills off any momentum. Yeah, 
he just became a scooby Diggler, didn't they, in the end? Hmm. Yeah, and I think if he when he comes when he starts a feud now, you know, whichever direction they decide to take it, and there's you know there's many more directions than the couple which we've just talked about. They need to make sure that if he has a if he's a heel, then he's got a master plan. It needs to work. Yeah, certainly for you know the mid mid term. Even if the, in the long term the babyface overcomes them, depending on you know what, what it is, but you've got to win. Yeah, and absolutely. I say this all the time: wins matter. People will invest in people who win emotionally. I think wins matter, especially when you're trying to set somebody up as a heel, because you can get away for a certain amount of time with the babyface on the back foot. But if yes. you're setting up a heel, your heel has to be competent. Because otherwise your heel's not a threat, right? Like, as you point out, it, Bray Wyatt is this great, you know, mastermind, cult leader, but he doesn't have any followings and none of his plans actually work. Then he's a Scooby-Doo villain. He's not a great heel. You need your heel to have a degree of dominance. And also because then it's the chase, isn't it? That's one of the, one of the classic wrestling storylines is the chase. The You've got the, the heel who's who's winning, you know, albeit maybe dirty tactics, but they're getting the wins. They're, they're triumphing. And you really want to see them crush, you know, because you should. There's less, you know, I know that we're in an era of um, of, of grey areas and grey characters, but I still think there's a lot of room for your good old classic, you know, good vanquishes evil story, you know. And I do yeah, think yeah. that you can tell that story in a sophisticated way. Um, I think one of my one of my chief complaints about WWE is they don't they don't know how to write a babyface. They just don't, you know. I, I I'm still mad that. As much as Sammy is great fun as a heel, he you had a you had a Ricky Steamboat, you had a career babyface there, yeah. and, and they Bailey. didn't know how to him. Bailey, yeah, Bailey is absolutely Bailey's a, a stellar example of that. How do you screw Bailey up? I don't understand. You, you know, you've got you've got a, a, a career babyface. You've got how do how do you get that wrong? You know, and I worry the same is going to be it's going to be the same with Mustafa Ali, who you know is is got amazing babyface fire. I, they're going to they're going to get him wrong. I think they just I don't know what it is about them. And it's not always been that way. You know, I remember when they could write compelling baby faces, compelling baby face story. Like even Daniel Bryan, for God's sake, you know that wasn't that long ago. No, no, it wasn't. I, mean, I do think they they fell into that a little bit. Um, mm. Are you okay for stay for a few minutes? Or yeah, yeah, I can stay a while. No problem. Cool. Um, so in going into what you said there about the baby, they not being able to write baby faces. The Usos. Are one of the most over babyface acts in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, obviously not quite at the Kofi Kingston level, but they're you know they're more over than most of the babyfaces. Yeah. The last two weeks, oh. they've gone into the revivals, and that's the, those vignettes and those promos. They've not made me want to support the Usos and laugh at the revival. No, it's they've just made painful. Me think the Usos are dicks. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. You know. So it's, it's like, well, I don't. It's a, that's almost like you. It's like Vince's jock mentality. It, yeah. He can't hide it, can he? It's it's oh, isn't it? it? Would be really funny if we did if we did this ridiculous thing. It's and it's. I think what I hate about it the most, and there's a lot to hate about it, is that it's so transparently punishing the revival for daring to sort of you know want more for themselves. 
Yeah, and it's like, how unprofessional is that to punish your wrestlers on screen in such a flagrant way? I mean, what are you trying to make an example of them? It's unethical, it's childish, and more to the point, it's not entertaining or funny. It's just stupid. You know, it's... And as, you, and, you, and as you rightly point out, it's basically, it's, it's kind of ruined the Usos because the Usos are better than that. Yeah, they just, like I said, seem like dicks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. it's not their fault, it's just the way they're being portrayed. You can but... only do what you've, what you've got to work with. You know, I remember last year when Sami Zayn did the, the Bobby Lashley sisters thing and it was just, it was yeah. one of the most, the grossest things I've seen on television. And I just thought, oh, you know, it had Vince all. I think you've got a real issue with the product when you can smell Vince McMahon, you know, it, it, when, you can, when you can see his, his fingerprints visibly on everything. Well, this is the problem when you've got a 74-year-old. You know, I'm not saying that he shouldn't be involved because obviously he's built the WWE to where they are. So he's obviously got mm-hmm. a good mind for business and wrestling promotion. Yeah. But... Keep him out of creative. He overrules everyone else's ideas. Yeah. He doesn't listen to anyone else. So anyone, you know, how many good creative minds have they got in that company, whether it's like what Triple H is doing with NXT or the, the wrestlers themselves or people like Abyss and Jeff Jarrett. And yeah. you know, the names are, it's an endless list of creative minds. And not one of them is in a position where they can say, no, this is what we need to do. Even Triple H, you know, and that's a problem. Yeah. Because that one, it's it's not a problem if that one person (coughs) turns everything to gold every time. Yeah. Yeah, let's listen to that person. But he is dry. The only fans left watching that TV program at the moment are the hardcore fans. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's a bit of a myth about like trying to attack attract casual fans because mm. I don't think there's any such thing in this day and age because of the internet Yeah. You know, if you like wrestling, you read wrestling sites. Yeah, and there's so much more wrestling out there as well for you that's what's great about the internet right now is if I want to watch women's wrestling, there's promotions that will do that better than WWE will do that, you know, if I want to watch, if I want to see good long term storyline, I can go to NJPW, you know, WWE isn't the only company anymore um it's yeah it's it's frustrating um and i think you point out in here as well and the nxt gets it right so obviously it's not a problem in my opinion it's not a problem with the talent it's why what what is nxt getting so right that the main roster can't replicate is it a matter of pride that vince mcmahon isn't you know because it's nxt's formula for the most part, don't you know, there's a couple of misses, but for the most part, NXT gets it right. It builds characters successfully. It builds stories successfully. You you know, you want to see what happens. You want to root for Alistair Black. You want to root for Ricochet. You want to root... Or, you know, you can go back further than that. They've got it right consistently for a long time. What you, I don't understand why the main roster doesn't look at that formula and go, hey, they've cracked it. You know, I know it's, I know there's going to be difficulties transporting it to a bigger stage and to a bigger audience, but there's a lot of lessons they could learn from NXT that yeah. they just don't, they seem resistant to. If you think NXT does all that with a shorter show each week, it does, you know, it, it, it's once a week, an hour. Mm-hmm. It's the takeovers are, you know, they're shorter than the other, they're not as often as the other yeah. shows. So 
you know, I think a big part of it is they tell their stories logically, they build their characters. Even the characters, not every character's on every week, not every character is on a takeover. Yeah. The ones who are not on takeover, they're being built up either with squash matches or just a little undercurrent feud which is on TV and on YouTube and on Twitter and it's being built <coughs> And then before you know it, there's a big rivalry, which is on the undercard. But it's long-term storytelling, which they yes. seem to completely have abandoned on the main roster. And yes. you can only look at one person, unfortunately. It's, you know, there, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. The only difference is one man, um, which you know, is what it is, I suppose. Go back quickly to the revival, I want to say. Can you mm-hmm. imagine... If the say the WWE told the revival we're not renewing your contracts, so your contracts are up, say at the end of June, but we want you to work, and just can you imagine they went out and started messing about on TV or not doing their job properly, you know, not taking it yeah. seriously or whatever it may be, they would be slated by the company and they'd be unprofessional and this and that, you know, there's no difference. At the yeah. end of the day, if they're putting them on TV, they should be professional. Absolutely. They should do a, imagine what frustrates me the most and really, I've got to be honest, pisses me off, is the Usos versus the Revival could be incredible. Mm-hmm. They yeah, just had absolutely. a good tag team feud and then had the, a pay-per-view match, give them 20 minutes, and they will probably have the match of a night. Yeah, just strip all the bullshit out. You don't need this ridiculous story. But you're right, you know, I mean, I think I, I got angry about this the other week uh, on on the Fightful podcast. But <clears throat> Sasha Banks is a is the perfect example of how WWE play it when doesn't play play by their rules. You know, Sasha Banks has said no. You know, for well, from what we know, Sasha Banks has said no. You know, she's had enough. Can't blame her for it. She's in every bit as much in the right as 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 the revival are, uh, as um, Luke Harper is. And yet the vilification of Sasha Banks just for saying, no, thank you, I've had enough. She's totally in the right to say that. And the, the, the treatment of the revival is, is the perfect justification for the way Sasha Banks is acting. Because if WWE is so petty and so unprofessional as to publicly punish their talent for daring to say, I want better, then why should Sasha Banks play ball? Why should any of them play ball if that's the way it's going to be? You know, they should take their chances because they're not going to get treated any worse by 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 walking away. I mean, do, do a Neville sit out for a year? You know, what's the worst that can happen? He should not be humiliated on TV. When was the last time you saw ROH, New Japan, Impact, any wrestling company humiliate their performers because they refused to sign a contract or because they did, you know, something? Well, look at Kushida, right? Kushida was was uh, heroes. Uh, yeah, exactly, and rightly so. And yeah. he, you know, he left because he wanted more than NJPW could give him. And NJPW went, okay, fair enough. You know, you've been great yeah. for us. We respect you. We wish you the best. And they knew he was going to WWE. Yeah, but still, their still gave him a send off. Absolutely, it just it the, the the gulf in the way that people are treated is 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 um, is massive, and it's shocking. You know, it, it's it's locker room shit. It's it's childish. It's you know, and it it also makes you less inclined to support the company because the other the other thing you know that you alluded to earlier as well is what the fans want. You know, the fans have have been behind the revival. You know, the fans were excited when the revival won the title, so it 
sensible for WWE to do something. The Usos are massively popular. Do something sensible. Put on a good show with them. If you're going to have the rivalry, like you said, have put on put on amazing matches. They're both capable of it. Why why take it down to this level? It doesn't benefit anybody except for Vince McMahon. Yeah, I like I could I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> so good eyes. Just, Sorry, I get angry just, about no, this. No, no, it's frustrating <laughs> because yeah. revival is one of my favourite acts in yeah. all of wrestling, um, and I feel like WWE just could do tag team wrestling yeah. really well because I've seen them do it on NXT. I've seen the tag team wrestling steal the show, take over after take over after take over. Absolutely. But yet, for some reason, Vince McMahon doesn't fancy tag team wrestling as a draw, so he just doesn't Which do anything weird, with it. Which is weird, because now I remember when I was a, a, you know, a big WWE fan when I was younger, and do you remember when the hottest thing, one of the hottest Which things WWE... versus the Heart Foundation. Yeah. And then late, even later than that, when Edge and Christian, Hardy Boys and the Dudley Boys had epic rivalries, you know, it was it was so compelling. It was so exciting. You wanted to watch it. It was... Uh, tag Team Wrestling has it's always that. been fun to watch when they do it right. So it's not Tag Team Wrestling that's the problem. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it, I don't understand it at all. Um, so just a quick couple of questions before yep. we uh, finish off. Um, obviously, we just spoke about Sasha a little bit. Uh, so very quickly Sasha Banks staying or going I hope she goes I hope I really hope she goes she deserves better yeah uh, I agree actually I think she and I think she will I think she's got to the point now where she's thinking sod it yeah they've made they've made promises yeah I agree she's friends with the revival as well and I just think that she's looked at them seen how they're being treated and why should why would she want to come back after that? Imagine this is what you've done to my friends. Absolutely, refused to sign a contract. Imagine the kind of program she could have at AEW. Imagine, imagine if they she signed with AEW and they put her in a, a a properly written, properly managed program. She would kill it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the only thing which might keep her there is Triple H. Obviously, Triple mm. H is close to those the four horsewomen yeah. from NXT, and I think. I think if he steps in, he could be the difference between them staying yeah. going ultimately. Um, okay, so John Moxley, will he get hot and end up back in WWE, or will he go to AEW or New Japan? It's really hard to say. I don't think he will go back to WWE though. I think the way they've handled this has been very different. Uh, you know, it's, it seems this seems very authentic and very legit. I think he's going elsewhere. So. It's a weird one. I think that the way they gave him the send-off um, and the way they did it so publicly and on TV and had a show about it on the network, to me, that says that they think that he's... They don't think he's going to AEW or New Japan. Interesting. I think that they... I just don't think that they would give him that send-off if they think he's going to AEW. That's fair. I could be, you know, I could be really wrong. So you think maybe they think he's he's going somewhere else, he's but he's not, not going to when they're great rivals. Yeah. Yeah, I just think they they might think it, but doesn't mean it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. If AEW turn up and say, look, we'll give you whatever two million a year, but you've only got to wrestle four times a year. Ah, bonus, isn't it? <laughs> well, well considering as well on the road. 
he, he was one of the, the the hardest workers for the WWE seven several years in a row. You know, so it'll be a. I think he's uh, he's earned a bit of a a bit of a rest now. Yeah, and I think people don't understand how brutal their schedule is. Oh, um, yeah. He did a show last night in Northern Ireland, and if you think it was Wednesday yesterday, and obviously in the UK where we are, mm-hmm. it was Wednesday yesterday. They did a show in Northern Ireland, but they did a show Tuesday night in the SmackDown show which obviously in the UK finishes like four in the morning. Wow. So they float like four or five in the morning to Northern Ireland. I don't know how, how long's a flight from like a general flight from America to East Coast, about eight hours. So you're talking say six o'clock in the morning, UK time at the earliest they'd have been on a flight. Yeah. Like that would probably be the quickest flight they could have got. Eight hours. Do you know what I mean? They're it's like grueling, isn't it? It's just a couple of hours, and then they're back in the ring. And they wonder why their talent wears out and why they get yeah. accumulate they injuries. Get, you know, know, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, sorry, last couple. Uh, yeah. How long till the crowd turns on Roman Reigns again, if at all? Oh, I. You know what? You know, I'm gonna. I've, I've always said I actually, I actually quite like Roman Reigns. I. I think the crowd, I understand why the crowd react the way they do. It isn't Roman Reigns' fault. But, I mean, the dude, you know, he's a legit cancer survivor. He's always worked his ass off. He's always turned up. He's always, you know, he's, he's not a part-timer. I, I want to believe the crowd won't turn on him. I, I, I worry they will. And I don't think it will take that long. I think the package they showed, was it last week or this week? I think it was this week, wasn't it? Yeah. They showed the video package of uh, isn't Roman Reigns wonderful, basically. Yeah. And I and feel I, like if they keep that up, it's, you know. Won't be long. It, yeah, they'll turn quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I think Vince won't be able to help himself. Yeah. That he'll want to get him the belt on him and he'll want to get him at the top of the card. And he's going to want him beating everyone. And I yeah. think that's where the problem is going to come. And the problem is they've got the perfect opportunity to tell a really good story with Roman Reigns now, you know. They've got the golden yeah. opportunity to to rehabilitate his character, to tell the story that they always should have told with him. And they won't take it. No, of course they won't. Vince, well, I'd like to say, Vince will not be able to help himself when it comes yeah. to Roman Reigns. He will have him at the top of the card. He'll have him beating everyone, overcoming the odds, playing the... Uh, <coughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, he'll be playing the underdog. You know, even though he's like a Grand Slam champion, yeah. You know, handsome, six foot four, but like whatever. And they try to portray him as an underdog, and it's like the fans are never going to buy that. You know, especially when they know that he's Vince's pick for mm. face of the company, in, yeah. Away from the TV show, so it's very difficult then to try and portray him as like Vince is holding him back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a difficult sell. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, right. Thank you very much for coming on, Laura. I really appreciate it. Um, all you guys can find, uh, you can visit Laura's website, which is www.lauramoro.com. Is that right? That's, that's right, yeah. And um, on Twitter, what was your Twitter again? My Twitter is at Laura N for November Mauro. And um, you can find me on at AceCast underscore Nation to keep up to date on upcoming shows and guests. 
you can visit uh, you can find us on facebook and youtube and uh, ace podcast nation uh if you want to suggest shows or questions for guests you can send them into facebook uh subscribe on youtube please uh we picked up 500 followers on facebook over the last four days which is uh very nice so welcome to everyone please subscribe to youtube as well uh thank you all for watching thank you laura again and uh, i'll see you all next time sports social podcast network with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.